0: So as our seven to ten year olds are headed back to their class for some teaching at their level, we encourage you now to open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter six. So if you have a paper Bible, Matthew is in the New Testament, it's kind of towards the back. If you are using an app, we use a version of the Bible called the ESV, the English Standard Version. And uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where we find ourselves today. Matthew chapter 6. While you're turning there, for the past several weeks, um, we've been in the book of Romans, so actually for basically a year and a half. Um, So that's several weeks. We've been in the book of Romans, but uh, most recently, coming out of the summer, we were in uh, Romans chapter 12. And for several weeks there in Romans chapter 12, we've been... Uh, watching Paul, that's the author of the letter, hammer home this idea that God is doing something new. That God has sent his Son to die for sinners, and he has been raised from the dead. And those who trust in him, the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of them and is doing something new in their lives. Doing something new, not only in their individual lives, but as we've already talked about in our covenant affirmation service, He's doing something new in the church. He's creating a new people, a new family, what we have called a gospel culture, which I first heard from uh, Ray Ortland and Sam Alberry in their uh, podcast called You're Not Crazy. But I commend that to you. But we're talking about a gospel culture. What is a culture? It's a, it's a culture is this collection of values and priorities. It's a collection that things that you do that define the sense of who you are. And we are all multicultural. Every one of us. Some of us have the culture streams that come from the north, and yet we were rural. And so we have those understandings. Some of us have different racial cultures, so Hispanic, Asian, black, white, and all different spans all over the globe, we bring those kind of cultures in. We have wealth culture dynamics that come into play, rich and poor, and they come in and they bring, all of us are multicultural. But Paul is saying, what he's doing special, what God is doing special, is that he's creating the church as a new culture. He's doing something new in them, and it's called a gospel culture. And we said just briefly, if I could summarize the entire chapter 12, which is like several weeks of preaching, okay? So just go back and hit rewind, but I'm going to give you the quick list. The gospel culture is it's shaped by grace, it's humble, it's honest, it's diverse. Yet it's interconnected. It's one. It's loving. It's honoring. It's servant-hearted. It's generous. It's joyful. It's enduring. It's prayerful. And it's peacemaking. One thing about that list is that it feels utterly impossible. And it is. Apart from... The fact that God promises that's what He's forming in His people. That's what He's doing. But today, I just want to pour a little bit more water on the last two aspects of that gospel culture. That we're a prayerful people and a peacemaking people. Specifically, that we are a praying, confessing, forgiving family. And that's where we're going to head today. Pastor Ron Jure, who is not here today, he's actually preaching at another church. Um, We have a gift that we have him as our pastor. And I'm so thankful that he gets to preach here regularly. But we also have to let his blessings go elsewhere at times. So that's where he is today. Um, But I get the privilege to go through today Matthew chapter 6. Last week he honed in on that one aspect of love. The church is just characterized by being a family of love both towards one another and outside itself. Next week, Pastor Travis will preach, and he will help us understand church family and how we have a common mission, how we are on mission to love those outside ourselves. But today, I get this space to focus in on we are a prayerful, confessing, forgiving family. And I'm going to do that today from Matthew chapter 6. I take, uh, I have a, an, another kind of part-time little job, and it's mowing grass. Those of you who are here from my neighborhood, you've seen me. You know that I do that. And I'm out mowing yards a lot. Well, one thing that I can do is I can mow the grass, but I'm not great at making grass grow. So um, if you understand how grass grows, there are certain types of grass and certain types of flowers that in order for them to grow in the spring... They have to be have seeds planted right now, in the fall or towards the winter. And so that analogy is what I want us to understand as to why I'm going backwards towards what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. Romans 12 is the springtime. Romans 12 is the flowers growing, the grass getting greener in this brand new church in Rome. And what God has promised to do there. But now what I'm doing is like, when did those seeds get planted that caused that grass to grow or those flowers to blossom? And I think we find the answers in Jesus' life and sacrifice, specifically in the Gospels. So we're hitting rewind, we're running to Matthew chapter 6, and what we're going to look at today is Jesus laying down the seeds for this Gospel culture. He's dropping these seeds and said, this is what I'm forming. He hasn't even died yet in Matthew chapter 6, but He's living the perfect life that we couldn't live. He's showing Himself to be worthy of being the only Savior that we could ever give our lives to. But what's happening now in Matthew chapter 6 is that the people have gathered together, and His followers are saying, teach me. And so this is a famous passage found in what's called the Sermon on the Mount, The Sermon on the Mount, he's on a mountain, he's teaching, and what we have in the Sermon on the Mount now is something known as the Lord's Prayer. So we're in Matthew chapter 6, and what Jesus wants to drive home before we read this Lord's Prayer, this famous passage, is that a follower of Jesus is characterized by praying follower of Jesus is characterized by praying. You've heard this before. You probably, that makes sense. Yep. You talk to your father. You're a child. You talk to your father that we as God's church are a praying family. This is the main impulse that he's pressing in on us. That's why he says in Isaiah 56, 7, my house, that is my church, my my house will be a house of prayer for all people's. Never meant to be monocultural, it's meant to be multi ethnic. But what's meant to characterize us is our diversity coming together in unity because we got one father and we call out to him, we talk to him. That's what the church does. So, we as God's church are a praying family. Now, we're going to get to the fact that we're also a confessing and a forgiving family, but right now we just need to remember we are a praying family, and when I want to give you the on-ramp into Matthew chapter 6, into the Lord's Prayer. He gives us two not-tos and one to-do. Okay, here's how not to pray, and then here's how to pray. Okay, so the not-tos could be summarized like this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Don't pray to be looked at. He's not saying don't pray in public or don't pray in places where people can see you. He's pressing in on the heart. Don't pray to be seen. He says, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they can be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, that is their reward. So what not to do? Don't pray to be seen. Where's your heart supposed to be? It's not supposed to be for the praise of people. The second thing he says is don't pray to be heard. And you're like, well, I thought kind of that's the point of prayer. Like, if you pray in public, it is kind of the point of prayer, right? Like, you do pray to be heard. Like, you want your prayers to be heard. He's saying, once again, don't pray to be heard in such a way that you are wanting someone to come alongside and say, man, that prayer was dynamic. That was amazing. You are one of the most spiritual people on the planet. And how did they try to do that? They thought by praying longer, it would get them more kind of religious points. So he was saying in Matthew chapter 6, don't heap empty phrase on empty phrase. Don't just pray long. One pastor said, please, don't pray more than five minutes, but don't go five minutes without praying. And he's trying to press in on this, and that can be a law. Don't hear it as a law. Hear it as the impulse. Don't make long prayers to be seen. Instead, live your life in a spirit of prayer. So now Jesus comes and says, don't pray to be seen, don't pray to be heard, don't do this for others. Do this as a communion with you and God and as love for your neighbor. And so he says, here's how to pray. I want to read the text and then I want to pray. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. If you're there, say I'm there. Come on, yeah, that's right. I gave you a massive on-ramp. You definitely should be there. Okay, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15. Let me read and then I'll pray. Our Father... In heaven, Jesus says. He says, pray like this then. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or set apart be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. Father, teach us. Teach us not just how to pray, But teach us to be a praying people, a people loving to be with you, a sitting still with you kind of people, a calling out to you, not just in the massive crisis, but in the everyday, thankful. Characterize this church family by prayer, confession, and forgiveness. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So, the first main idea, we god's church are a praying family this prayer is not meant to be a formula it is not meant okay you better memorize this the only way you can ever pray is just to recite these words this is not meant to be a praying formula that you pray these words every time you pray he is guiding the heart of his people and these are the seeds right here that he is planting that will grow into the flowers that we read of in romans chapter 12. Now, hear this first of all as an invitation. He knows the mess in your life. He knows the mess that you've walked in maybe even this week. He knows that you're imperfect. And I want you to hear this as an invitation from the God of the universe who says, I want to be with you and you can trust me. When he says pray like this, Many of us want to hear, okay, this is what i got to do in order to be accepted by God. He's saying, come and be with me. I want time with you. Talk to me. I am the place and the person you need to be with. He's saying, trust me, I need to be the center of your solar system. All the planets revolve around the sun. Your life is meant to revolve around Jesus. He's saying, come, place me right there. And the way you do that is to stop and to pray. And then he lays out six, count them, six petitions or pleas in this prayer. And he's just saying these things should characterize in some way, shape, or form your prayers. So as he says, now let's talk to your father, your dad in heaven. Verse 9 is where he starts. He says, our father who is in heaven. And what's remarkable is our father who is in heaven. Which means he's totally, like massively bigger than we could ever imagine. He's, he should be distant. But what is prayer? It's him coming near. It's, it's you're here right now and yet you're also in heaven. So he's acknowledging his bigness, but prayer is saying, you're here. You're here. And a father, in order to be a father, means he has what? Okay, a little louder. Children, thank you. Yes, hallelujah. Okay, he's got children. So that's what we are. And this is how you start the prayer. God, you're my father. I'm your child. And I acknowledge you're here with me right now. And then there's these six petitions that flow out of that intimate relationship. And the first one is, Hallowed be your name. We don't use that word, Hallowed. I don't use it much. It's, make your name set apart. What's your name? You've heard this before. Someone's made a name for themselves. What's that mean? It means they've done something in such a way that now they've become famous, right? Sports figure makes a name for himself. Musician is, makes a name for themselves. That means you know them. You've heard of them because of something they've done. Now what the prayer of the Christian is, is I want to live my life in such a way that your name is known in all the earth. I want to live my life in such a way that you are famous. To the outside world. I want your name to be set apart. Your character to be loved. And enjoyed. So he's saying, may your name be higher than any other name. May may your character and your life be first in my affections. This is what he wants to happen. And this is what it means when we're a church family, that we're, when we're seeking to be humble or honoring or loving, those things, those actions, that's how we show off that our God has a different name. He's not weak. That's not His name. He's not insufficient. That's not His name. He's not absent. No, He's present. He's powerful. He's loving. And that happens when the church is the church. These are the seeds that blossom into the flower of Romans chapter 12. He also says, pray, your kingdom come. Now, we don't live with a king as England does. We have a president. And so we don't understand kingdoms as well as maybe other cultures might. But what does a king do? A king rules and reigns. This is saying, I want Jesus I want His power and authority. God, I want all of Your power and authority to come right now in my life. I want You to have authority in my life. I want Your kingdom to come. Your ways to be loved. So another way to talk about Your kingdom is reign or presence. And the image that came to me is let's say you have a A dark piece of construction paper. And you shine a light through it. Nothing's getting through that beast. You're not going to see through it at all. But then you poke little holes. And you're poking holes in it. And what happens when I shine that light? All of a sudden you start seeing that light shine through what was once an impenetrable wall. This is what God is saying through this prayer. He's asking that we would ask Him... Use our lives to poke holes into the brokenness of this world so that your light would shine forth through our lives into the darkness and that people would see how great you are. So our lives are meant to be the poking through in this piece of paper. And that's what we pray. God, your kingdom come so that your power and your presence can be seen on this earth. Your will be done. That is, that his people would follow his commands. As we talked about in the decision-making series that we did earlier in the summer, this is not some secret will that we're trying to know what God has for our future. What he's talking about here is he's made really clear what he requires in his word. And the prayer right now is asking, oh God, help me to do what you require. It's acknowledging like, "I, I struggle. This is hard. I feel weak. I feel tired. I don't want to love that person. I don't want to get up and serve my kids. It's hard to listen when I'm exhausted. It's hard to be faithful at work all the time. It's just hard. And yet, this prayer is, Oh God, help me. Help me. You are present with me. I'm acknowledging your presence. Help me do what you require. And so these first three petitions are, Father in heaven... May your name be what characterizes my life, that Jesus is central. Your kingdom come, your reign, your presence in my life, your will be done. Help me to do what you have called me to do on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sin in heaven, so God, would you just like help me to be this picture of what might or what will be one day? Would what is in heaven break forth into the here and now? This is what the prayer is. But he keeps going. He keeps going. And he says, give us this day our daily bread. The question is, how often is Jesus encouraging us to pray these prayers? And now he opens the window that it's daily. He opens the window to show us, give us each day our Daily bread. There's a lot of things we do daily. At least, I hope we do. Most days, right? Let's just throw in most because there are times that we skip certain things, right? Like, we should sleep every single day. Sometimes, you know, we stay up. But we should sleep every single day. Our body has been wired to get rest. And some of you are like, and I want more. So, I need sleep. It's just one declaration, just one way that we say with our very lives, God, you are God and I am not. Because the Bible says he doesn't sleep, but we do. So please, don't try to be God. Get some rest, okay? He says he gives sleep to those he loves, so get some sleep. That's something that we do every day. Eat is another one, right? Yes. You're hungry. You like to eat. Well, that's what this prayer is saying. Give us today some food. Because it's an acknowledgement that we have daily needs. Other things that we might do every day, like maybe brush our teeth or talk to people. Uh, Jesus is saying, there's something that should characterize our lives daily. So just like the joy of eating is meant to be a daily task, unless you're intentionally fasting, he's inviting us to say, I'm inviting you into the joy of eating of daily communion with me. Now, once again, we love law. Like, we love to just be, hey, just do this. Like, pray at 1130 and you'll be golden. Right? But Paul has already taught us that the life of the Christian is not characterized by one moment of prayer a day. It's characterized by... A lifestyle of prayer. One way that we say it here at at TCC is that prayer is not just a ministry of the church, it's how we do ministry. And praying is not just one moment in your life, it's how you do life. You go about just spontaneous moments, structured moments, saying, God, I need you, help me right here. That's a prayer. You didn't have to fall on your knees. You didn't have to close your eyes. You didn't have to clasp your hands. Although sometimes, for those of us who are distracted, some of those things are, help, are distracting. Some of those things are helpful. But you can be driving eyes wide open and say, Oh God, I need you. He's inviting us into a lifestyle of communion with Him because He loves us. He loves us. And so... What does prayer say? It says, I'm needy. I'm needy. In this room, if you're needy, I would ask for a raise of hands. Everyone should raise their hands. Uh, yes, okay, yes, you can just do it anyway. I was not actually going to actually ask, but now I did, and so yeah, just raise your hand. That works. You're needy. We're insufficient. We run up against walls all the time that feels so overwhelming. Emotionally, physically, We have limits. God is so great. He chooses to say, I want you. Every moment of every day. I just want to be with you. And so when we are low on supply, we go to the one who is never low on supply. His people are a praying people. Because they love their Father, and they know how needy they are, and they want to intercede on behalf of others. This is why Jesus emphasizes right here this kind of daily nature. Now literally, let me translate what this, uh, the Greek behind this uh, verse says. It says, our daily bread, give us today. It's a different way of saying it. Our daily bread, that means The bread, the food that was there for us today. Now, Father, would you give it to us today? Why does that matter? What does that mean? It means that God knows exactly what we need and he's got the full supply. He's asking us to ask him so that there would be a giving. The refusing to pray is like putting a cap on your water faucet and then going and lifting the water faucet and getting frustrated that there's no water coming out. Sometimes the way we view prayer is like many times how some of the other more legalistic worldviews are where it's like I do prayer so then God does for me. That's kind of how we do prayer. If I pray, then God will do something for me. This is not the way prayer is designed. Prayer is meant to say, I am desperate. There's nothing I can give to my God that He needs. I am actually asking for Him to just pour out abundance in my life because I'm so needy. And so what we do many times is with our own works, we just feel like, okay, I've got to give to God. I've got to do this. And then if I do good for God, then He's got to give to me. That's not the picture that's being painted. He's actually just asking you to ask Him for an abundant flow. He's saying, would you just remove the cap and talk to me? Just, just take it off. And then prayer is, Phew, receive. Just receive. He's not short on supply. He does not need you to add to His supply. He is telling you, I've got all you need for today and I'll give it. Just ask. Just ask. Give today what I need today. That's the other aspect of this asking. Is that the promise is not tell me my future. Give me everything that I will need tomorrow. It's Tomorrow's got enough trouble, today's got enough trouble of its own. We don't need to worry about tomorrow. Ask for today, and I'll give you everything that you need. This prayer is a prayer of trust. It's saying, I trust you, God, to know all that I need today. I trust you, God, to know all that I need today. I don't need tomorrow's needs. I need today. And you are the source of all that I need. I remember I was trying to... I've shared this story before. I was trying to make a decision for college. And I pleaded with God to just make it clear, like some sign in the sky, something that tells Him which college to go to. And I didn't get that. But what I did learn was the lesson that I can trust that my God has me. And He's going to guide me into the place that I need to go. I remember in high school, I pleaded with God that He would give me a girlfriend. That didn't happen. And it was a major high school crisis. Like, I just... My other friends did. They were going on dates or had a date to to the dance. But why didn't I? But God taught me a lesson. That what I needed was Him. I needed Him. Now praise God He also gave me my best friend who is my wife now. We've been together over 25 years. But there's this sense of He knows what I need when I need it. There have been times that I have prayed for God to heal this person that is so near and dear to me. And sometimes He's miraculously done it. And other times... He said not now. But what He has taught me when He said not now is that He is supplying my everyday needs with His presence and His love. There has been times when I have pleaded with God to take away my emotional, physical, psychological pain. And it didn't happen immediately. Sometimes it did. Sometimes it didn't. And wouldn't, didn't, he taught me that he's enough, even if the pain is not taken away. He taught me that he is with me in this journey. And this is the spirit that Jesus is asking us to bring to this prayer, is God, give us what we need for today, and it's saying, I trust you. I trust you that if you say, not today, I didn't need it today. Today but that You will give me everything that I need. And so I just praise God. I praise God that there have been times that I needed to trust Him in a shaky boat because I had gotten really comfortable in calming seas. I needed to learn to trust Him when things were not okay because when things were easy, I began to maybe trust more in myself. Dear friends. Our father hears. And he loves us. And he cares for every need. There's no thing too small. Don't just save the big things for him. He's saying ask me for the morsels that you need to eat. For daily bread. And that picture of daily bread is a picture of ask him For everything that you need and trust Him to supply what you need. One thing that I sometimes battle with is anxiety. This idea of fear. That God, I don't think this way. If you were to ask me, will God supply your needs? Yes, totally, 100%. But in the moment, I get irrational, right? Like my brain goes sideways and I get anxious. And what was so encouraging to me about this portion of the prayer is he takes this kind of image of physical bread, and it's like, give it to me. Like, God, trust, or God, please give me this bread. And I had this image of God is asking me to put my anxiety in his hands. To put my anxiety in his hand. Everything that ever stresses you or floods you with fear, this prayer is inviting you to take all of that and put it in his hands. And he's saying, I'm there. I've got all the supply. I can bear the weight. When I don't do that, usually what happens is I try to solve it myself. The weight gets heavier. But what he's inviting is take it and lay it in his hands. And say, I trust you to supply my needs. Deep down, whenever I'm anxious, I'm not trusting him to supply my moment by moment, day by day needs. So what stresses or floods you? Some of you who are parents, I'm afraid my kids will. Or I'm afraid my, parent, my kids will not. This prayer is, oh God, give us Today. Our daily bread. Help my kids today. I'm afraid we won't have enough money. I'm afraid we won't be able to pay the bills. Oh God. Please. Give us today. Our daily bread. Help us to trust you. With. The money. I'm afraid that that person will be angry at me. Give us today. Our daily bread. Give us today what we need. That you're going to be sufficient. I don't have to fear this person. You're going to protect me or you're going to be with me. Even if I'm attacked. I trust you. It's basically, I give you my greatest fears. I give you my deepest weaknesses and I'm asking you to carry them. This is the invitation of this daily prayer. But what's also really interesting is that he's inviting not only you ask for all of these needs on a daily rhythm, on a going-through-life rhythm, but these next sentences are also part of the daily rhythm, which is, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so the church family is not just characterized by praying, but it's characterized by what this passage has. It's characterized by daily confession. Daily confession. Where do I get confession? The confession word's not in here. Obviously, verse 12. Forgive us our debts, our sins. Confession is declaring that we have sinned And that we need God to forgive us. So here in this spirit of this is the kind of praying life that we live. It's meant to be a praying life that says. God forgive us. Of our sins as we are forgiving others who sinned against us. And the prayer is lead us not into those areas that are tempting for us. That is protect us from those really big temptations and deliver us from the evil one. It's just this acknowledgement that we are bent towards liking sin at times. And that humble prayer is a prayer that he's inviting us into every day. Oh God, help us. Help me not to give myself to this. Help me not to think this. Help me not to look at this. Help me to follow you. There's a woman named... Lisa Turkhurst, in a podcast called uh, Theology and Therapy, and she shared that as she was battling a really heavy heart, we've all been there, right? Just a heart that feels really heavy, weighed down with anxiety, weighed down with personal guilt, weighed down with an unknown future. Whatever it is, you feel really heavy she said as she was reading this passage, she saw the invitation to confess daily. And she said an unexpected result happened that as she began to out loud her struggles, her sin tendencies, her weaknesses, and the things that she had actually done wrong to the Lord, the Lord began to do a mysterious, wonderful thing. He began to lift the heavy heart. There is a freedom in being honest before the Lord. And many of us are walking around weighed down because we're waiting to fix ourselves before we run into the presence of God or before we talk to anybody else about our struggles. But let me let you in on something that's not so much of a secret, but we act like it is. The more we try to handle our struggles on our own. Let me fix myself and then I can come to church. Let me fix myself, then I can pray. The more we try to handle it, what happens is the opposite of our intentions. We never fix ourselves good enough. And then we think, okay, I'll fix myself, then I can pray. Instead, what we end up doing is we can't fix ourselves so we don't pray because we're wallowing in shame. Look at how messy I am. Look at how bad I am. God doesn't want to be with me. So I can't even go to church because they, people don't even know what grossness I have in my life. And so this whole attempt to fix it pulls us away from God and His people the very means that God has given us to be whole. To be healthy. To find freedom. This invitation is please go to the one who Gave His life to fix your deepest pains and stop trying to be the first fixer. But come to Him in all honesty. Take the very dark crevices of your life and maybe for the first time, find freedom to say, I struggle with this. God wants to hear it. And I would encourage you Find a closet. If you can't find a quiet place in your house, get in your car. Go on a walk. But out loud it to God. There is healing in saying, I struggle with this. I sinned against you when I did this. Because it's those things that you don't talk about that are eating you up inside. They're keeping you from finding freedom and a light heart. Instead, we're walking around with heavy hearts, Jesus is inviting us to find the freedom. Freedom from a heavy heart into a light heart through the gateway of confession. The reason I know that this is a gateway is because I remember in 2016 when I was on my sabbatical, you guys were so kind to give me a few months away, it was this verse right here that revolutionized my prayer life. Acts chapter 3 Verses 19 and 20. For me, confession and sin was just about, some. It was, it was so mixed up and convoluted in my mind, it was always a bad thing. Like It was just something that was distasteful. You never wanted to do. It was not an invitation into joy. It was something that was just kind of a barrier to my joy. Acts chapter 3 turned it upside down for me. When he says, Repent, therefore, that is, Tell your sins to God. Agree that God's way is right and your way was wrong. Repent therefore. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What is repentance? It is coming into the presence of God with all of your grossness and saying, Oh God, take me. Friends, You might not have any relationship in your entire life that feels that safe. Somebody that will handle your mess with care. And our God looks at you and He says, I'm safe with this mess. It's going to hurt because I need to uproot this mess, but I love you. I'm not going to stand in judgment over you. Instead, I took the judgment from you. I took all of this mess that you're confessing to me and I put it on my son. And he screamed in agony because justice has to be paid for your sin. But he was raised three days later from the grave to say, I'm greater than sin. Grace is greater. There's hope in your mess. The only freedom comes from the presence of the Lord. Bring Him all that you are. Day by day. And find freedom. What's unique about this culture is that this culture was primarily a borrowing culture. It did not have a lot of assets that it gave. Most people who are hearing this were borrowers who were so far under debt that they knew they would never be able to pay it off. I remember being in college and I had saved up a ton of money. I mowed yards from age 13 to when I went away to college. And I saved up that money. And I went to a private school. I was able to pay off one year of college. It was a lot of money to me. Writing that check was very painful. But I was able to pay it off. But I still stood under a mountain of debt. i never forget. It was the generosity of my parents. As well as hard work after the fact. But were it not for the generosity of my parents. I might still be under the weight of that debt. But when they say it's paid for. And the weight is off. It's the debt is forgiven. No more payments to be made. I'm forgiven. He's saying this can be the same with your sin. He uses the debt analogy. Every time we sin, we incur a debt with God or a debt against other people. How are you going to pay it off? His answer is you can't. Jesus paid it off. The way it's paid off is you confess your sin and you trust for Him to forgive you. It's free. And He says, You're forgiven. It seems too good to be true. That's what He does. And it's meant to be a daily reminder. A daily reminder that God wants you to come, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The way He does that is not only bringing the suffering of the world, but bringing your very sins to God and asking Him to change you. There's this one woman, her name is Tara Lee Cobble, who um, leads this uh, study called the Bible Recap, and she was telling a story of a friend of hers who struggled with one sin, this chronic sin, over and over and over. She was in accountability groups, and she just could not overcome this one sin. And then Tara Lee, who was friends with her, began to see this woman start making progress, and all of a sudden, this sin became kind of more distant and then it just seemed like she had begun to kind of overcome this sin. And Tara Lee asked her, how in the world did you find such progress and growth over this unique sin? She said this and I found it profound. She said, I was tired of God talking to me about the same thing over and over and I was ready To hear him say something else. God was talking to her. Because he loved her. Because she was trading her life of joy. For this one thing. And she finally was like. I keep hearing God say. Be free of this. I love you. I can set you free. Just give it to me. Run away from sin. I kept, I kept hearing. Every time I stopped to pray, I kept hearing the same line over and over. Give this to me. Give this to me. And I would just not do it. And finally I was like, God, I want to hear something else. And she gave this very area to the Lord. In humble honesty. Brought in others around her. God did. And began to speak broader, more expansive things. He does that when we're stuck in sin. You know He does. But you also know what it is to hear the constant refrain over and over and over in this one area that is a consistent struggle. He's inviting you right now, day by day, to confess your sin and be set free of the heavy heart that comes. And He says that We've not only got to be a confessing people, but what happens when people sin against us? We need to be known as forgiving. Because he goes on to say, if you forgive others their sins, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their sin, our Heavenly Father won't forgive you. He's speaking to what happens when people sin against you. If you allow hurt, From those painful moments to reside too long, what happens is the heart does not get softer. It gets harder and hard things break. When I'm putting away the dishes at my house, we've got this one measuring thing that is just like all pliable and all flexy and all bendable. And I can nick it on the the countertop and... Nothing's going to happen. But I can't tell you, a lot recently, we actually have some glass cups and I'll go to put them in the dishwasher and I'll nick them on the counter and like that. Why? Because hard things can break. When we nurture hurt too long, it's not don't be hurt. It's that you cannot harbor that hurt and allow bitterness to reside there. Take that hurt to the Lord. It's a process over time. It comes and goes. It might linger. But you know the difference between I'm hurting and I'm bitter. And when you allow that bitterness to reside there, your heart gets hard and hard things break. You feel like you're protecting yourself from all the pain that you've experienced. But instead, you're not protecting yourself. You're just hurting yourself. What sets you free, what reconciles each other, And what gives you this kind of wonderful access to God is forgiveness. It's when you look at that person who has hurt you and you're able to say these three things: it is, I have been hurt, and the pain is deep. Oh, God, come near to my hurt. And watch Him comfort you. I've been hurt. The pain is deep. I need you. But number two, I have been forgiven of my sin. And God's love is greater than my sin. I receive your forgiveness of me. And number three, because I've been forgiven by much grace, I can forgive this person. Who has sinned against me. It's not deny hurt. No. You have to acknowledge it. Don't stuff the hurt. Give it to the Lord. Share it with those confided people that know you. But don't stay there. You cannot stay there as a means of self-protection. Instead you have to rehearse. I'm not the only sinner in the room. I need God's grace. I need His forgiveness. And God, forgive me, and because you have, I can forgive others. It doesn't mean you don't have to set boundaries at times. But it does mean that you're not coming with an approach of self-righteousness. I'm better than you. You're coming with a brokenness. I hate that that person was hurting so bad that they sinned against me in that way. Their lives were so broken... It doesn't make them a victim. I'm deeply grieved over the tragedies that I know abound in this room. And God is grieved too. And He comes near to you in your hurt. And He is a God of justice who will make all wrongs right at the end. We can trust that. But when it comes to your heart, Jesus is saying we've got to make it a daily prayer That we say, not only God, I'm a sinner, I need you, but that we say, that person, it could be a spouse, it could be a a child, it could be a neighbor, it could be somebody in your past that's hurt you, it's asking God to bring you to a place where you can say, I forgive them, I'm hurting, but I forgive them. And dear friends, I want to remind you of this, and then we're done. In that theology and therapy podcast, they talk about fact and impact. To forgive someone of what they did is a fact. I forgive you for those actions. But it doesn't mean there will not be ongoing impact. Like you throw a rock into a pond, and what happens? The ripples keep going. There are impacts in your life from past trauma that keep going, past sins against you that keep going. Forgiveness is not simply a moment. That's why Jesus invites us into the prayer of every day. Forgiveness is a process. It's a process that says, when that horrible thing comes back into my mind, I have to choose to take that mess to God and say, oh God, I'm not going to allow this to overcome me anymore. I've got to rehearse these three things. I'm a, I've been hurt and this hurt is real. I'm a sinner and your grace is greater than my sin. So God set me free to forgive. I don't want a hard heart. That's a process. And it could happen for years. But Jesus is inviting you. That the year longs, years long process of healing begins with being faithful in the every day. That's what this prayer is inviting us into. That we would be a family characterized by prayer, confession, and forgiveness. Radical forgiveness. Because we have been remarkably forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I just ask right now that you would remove from us the need to follow a formula and that you would just usher in this great moment of being with you. Father, we're your children. You are here and you are in heaven. Make your name famous. Make your character the central driving force of our affections. Would you please rule and reign in our hearts and in our church and through us bring your kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Break your light through into this dark world. Shine your presence into this moment. Father, you're the source of all that I need. You're the source of all we need. Help us to trust you. Help us to give our hearts to you today and to ask you for everything. And to believe that you are generous, abounding in love, and that you will give us all that we need. Father, we confess that we have sinned protect us from trying to fix ourselves I pray that burdens would be lifted all over this place because you want all of us and we can be known for the first time so father I pray I pray that you would help us to have the courage to bring our weights to you today and to have the courage pray that you would help us to have the courage to ask for forgiveness and to forgive. Let's just take a few moments right now and pray. Jesus wants all of you and he loves you. If you're a part of this church, ask that God would move in your life And set you free. Free from specific sins, the weight, burdens. If you're not a part of this church, if you're not a follower of Jesus, maybe today for the first time, you don't have everything figured out, but what you do know is that you believe that Jesus is real, that he did die on the cross for your sin and although you've been hurt by others maybe for the first time you realize you've sinned against God and you need forgiveness today and what needs to move away from your mind is not how others need to be fixed but how you need God to change you and I invite you today Because Jesus invites you today to bring him all that you are. Confess today for the first time that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and Jesus, He is your Savior. That He bore the punishment you deserve, He is alive, He's overcome the grave, so there's hope for us. We can be made new and set free. Lord, set free hearts all over this room. Let's go to him in prayer, and then we'll end with a song.